teaching preference would be more, uh, if you were here last week, more of what we did last week where you take, uh, take a, a verse or a little chunk of scripture and you just walk through it really slowly. Um, that's my, my preferred method, not only just my personality, but also I, I feel like that is uh, what's best for the church because I think it, it teaches all of us um, how to do that in our own time with the word. Uh, I don't not a fan of sermons that pull from like 19 different places because uh, I, I don't know that that is um, like as a as a person sitting in the room uh, I don't know that that's discipling me very well and how to handle the word on my own when I get to my house you know and so uh, I feel like it's um, it's just a good way to go all, all the way around and we're going to start next week um, we're going to go through the book of Second Corinthians this semester um, in that way kind of verse by verse start at the beginning see how far we get um, come Advent time, and so uh, we're going to be doing that uh, together, um, but this will be not that at all. There'll be lots of jumping around, so if you went to like uh, Bible drill as a kid, uh, you're going to dig it tonight because you'll win, uh, and uh, if you have a Bible app on your phone, I don't know, maybe it could be like the showdown between technology and old school or something, so you can get there the quickest, we'll see, um, and so before I tell you where to go, um, let me just kind of set the, set the table a little bit for um, what tonight is going to hopefully be about. Um, everything about us is rooted in the character of God. When I say us, I mean both in a corporate sense, like the, the church around the globe, um, all of the saints that have been redeemed by Christ, all of his, his children, his sheep, uh, bricks in his building, um, part of, of the body of Christ. I mean, pick your analogy. All of us around the globe, uh, everything about us is rooted in the character of God. Um, I also mean everything about us as, as a church, as, as the Ring Community Church. If you're here with us for the first time, I'm just going to treat you like you are a part of, of our church, because as far as I'm concerned for tonight, you are. And uh, so I hope no disrespect to anyone or whatever. But uh, So I'm going to definitely be very inclusive. I'm going to say a lot of we's and us and stuff like that. Um, but also, I mean that in an individual sense. Everything about you, everything about me, is rooted in the character of God. Um, so we'll cover all that ground tonight. The entire globe, all the way down to your individual soul, okay? We'll cover all that, hopefully. Um, now, when I say the character of God, there's, that kind of goes two ways. And if you're a theology nerd, you kind of um, already went there in your head. Is he talking about communicable attributes or incommunicable attributes? Um, Here's what, here's what that means. Um, there are things about the character of God that he uh, shares with us to a degree, that we are uh, a part of to a degree. And there are things that are just, just for him, okay? So uh, God is love, and that is something that he, that is, it's a communicable attribute that he, uh, it is shared in common with us to a degree. So God is love, so we experience love. God is, he is compassionate, so we see that compassion. He is wise, and so he lets us in on wisdom and knowledge and those kinds of things. So there are things about him 
um, that, he, that are communicable in the sense that we uh, share that common union with him. Then there are things that are incommunicable, meaning that they are just for him. So, for, the, you know, for example, he is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. We do not. He is eternal. He's always existed. He will always exist. Uh, that's, that's not the, the case for us. Um, you know, so, so those kinds of things that are normally attributed to deity, um, those are his character, you know, parts of his character, and there are things that he shares with us that are parts of his character. And so when I say that everything about us is rooted in his character, um, both of those things are true. If it's something that he has shared with us, then those are things in our lives that reflect him, that reflect who he is. So if he shares love with us and we love, that is a reflection of him. If we are gracious, that is a reflection of him. If we show mercy, that is a reflection of him. Now, if, if the part of his character we're talking about is, are the things that he doesn't share with us, for example, for example, like his absolute sovereignty, his absolute omniscience, what, when I say we're rooted in that, it's we're, we're rooted in the fact that we trust that. Like we trust that he is, is always good 100% of the time, never bad. We trust in the fact that he knows everything that has happened and will happen we trust his sovereignty that he is guiding everything that is going on. And so whether it's something that we share and we reflect or whether it's something that we just place our trust in, everything about us is rooted in his character and who he is. So we sing this song tonight, I will worship you for who you are. That's, that's where we're going tonight. So here's what I want to do. is I want to I just prayerfully, uh, hopefully prayerfully, narrow down uh, things in, into four, like four major areas of life for Christians where, um, where this is like super, super important. And there are many more that are important, but these are, I think, feel like the four for us, okay? So you go to um, John, book of John. No, I'm sorry, just kidding. You go to Ephesians 5. I promise you, I know what I'm doing. You go to Ephesians 5, I'm going to go to the book of John. We'll put the, these verses up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 5, and you just kind of hang out there for a second. All right, so, so the, the first area of um, life or, you know, whatever for us um, would, would be the church, okay? Both universal church and local church. Um, here's... here's our, for this message tonight, here's attributes I think are crucial of God that we uh, are rooted in. Um, God is incredibly organized, and He is incredibly efficient, and He is incredibly committed. Okay, so what do I mean by God is organized? I don't just mean like He has everything in folders and it's color coded and whatever. Uh, that's how humans get organized. God is organized in a different sense. And let me just give you a, a crash course in the Trinity, okay? This will not be the best, best like, two-minute explanation of the Trinity you've ever heard. Uh, but it may be the only two-minute attempt you've ever heard. Um, so God, there's one God, and this one God has always existed from the beginning of time uh, in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, which would be Jesus, and God the Spirit, um, also known as the Holy Ghost. And so, um, so you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, one God that has always existed in three distinct persons. Now that in and of itself is a bit of a leap for a lot of folks. I understand that. 
Uh, is he one or is he three? Um, our answer would be he's both, and we trust that he is both because his word says that he's both. And once you begin to look into it, it really is not as weird as it sounds. It's just maybe, uh, it, just, it just takes faith to say, okay, I, I get this. I, no, I get this because you'll probably never get it, but I trust that this is the way it is. Um, so when I say that God is organized, here's, here's what I'm going at. Um, the Father, Son, Spirit are all 100% fully and equally God. Just because God the Father has the title of Father doesn't mean that he's more God than the Son or more God than the Spirit. They're all fully, equally, 100%, all the time, eternally, God. Now, there is distinction within them, though. So they, they each have, have unique like personalities and roles and that kind of stuff. So when I say that God is, is organized, that's really what I'm saying, is within, within God, within those three persons that make up the one God, there are, there's an organized um, way that each of them plays a role. They're not just all like randomly off doing whatever they want because they're all fully and equally God. There, there is this tandemness that happens with the three of them. Um, and and there is, uh, there is not, it's not a pecking order. It's not hierarchy in the sense that like one is better than the other than the other. But there is, there is hierarchy in the sense that, that one is kind of in, in charge in a sense. So the father, the father is the visionary, and he sends the son and sends the spirit, but they're all in agreement, and that's the that's the part that we struggle to understand is like how is that not hierarchy? Where well because there's equality, everybody's just completely on board with playing the role that they're supposed to play. If they were not equal, like like where there's inequality, there's like you resist that that you know submission and you. Like, it's just like, oh, I don't, who are you to tell me what to do and all that kind of stuff. But since they're all equal and they all know they're equal and they treat each other like they're equal, when the father, like take John 3, 16, when God so loves the world, he sends his only son. When he, when the father says go and the son says, okay, that is not, um, there's like, there's nothing out of balance about that. Hebrews says that Jesus went because of the joy that was set before him. The joy set before him is the glory of, of God, and that's what it was all about. So since they're all on the same page, the Father says, hey, do this. He's like, cool, got it. You have the Spirit, and he, the other two tell him what to do all the time. But he doesn't care. He's like, awesome, that's my job. Why? Because there's equality. He doesn't feel, he doesn't feel inferior to him. He knows he's fully and equally God. So what's the problem? Like in a marriage, when the husband and wife, when they treat each other as equals, submission and headship is not this big, huge, stupid issue that people like to make it. It's when one thinks they're better than the other one that there's this, like, tension. And that's usually what we see, so we think, we think that must exist with God, but that's the thing is God is completely other and different, okay? So when I say God is, is organized, let me, let me read this to you. Um, in uh, John 16, this is Jesus talking. Uh, Listen, just listen to the description and the planning and the organization and the roles that are, that are played here. Jesus says, But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. All right, there's the Father. She says, I'm going to him who sent me, sent by the Son. I mean, sent by the Father. And none of you asked me where you're going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Okay, so Jesus is about to, he said, I'm about to get out of here, but trust me, you're sorry now, but it is to your advantage that this happens. 
For if I did not go away, the Helper, okay, that's the Spirit, would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, okay, the standard of righteousness is going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, so we're seeing something now. The Father has sent the Son, and the Son's like, I have to go so that the Spirit can come. That sounds like a plan, right? I mean, that sounds like these guys kind of know what they're doing. And the Spirit is coming with very specific roles. I still have many things to say to you, but, but you cannot bear them now. I, I was just like thinking, like, Jesus tells him that, like, if I told you, your head would explode. So I'm not going to tell you this stuff now because you cannot, you cannot handle what, I'm about to, what I would tell you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Listen to this. For he will not speak on his own authority... But whatever he, he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He, the Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay? Now, that's super confusing. And what I want us to get from that is not, like, not the details and the nuts and bolts and all kinds of stuff. What I want you to understand is Jesus is like, look, there is a plan. We are organized. The Father has a plan, and he sent me to accomplish some of it, and I have to go so he can send the Spirit to accomplish some of it. And when the Spirit comes, like, you don't, you're not even ready for this. I mean, he's going to blow your mind. And he's, he's going to be one of the convict, and he's going to tell people about me, and then I, you tell him about me, and it goes to the Father, and so this is all a part of the plan. God is organized. That is a part of his his character, his nature. He is inherently organized and efficient. So you, when you start talking Trinity and you go back to creation, the Father comes up with the plan, and he says, let there be light. And Jesus, we know this if you read Colossians 1, uh, if you read Hebrews 6, um, Jesus goes and, like, creates it. And the Spirit goes and manifests the presence of God in creation. So all throughout the thing, you have the entire Trinity Playing, each playing their role in the creation process. The Father envisions it and speaks it. The Son goes and actually accomplishes it, and the Spirit is there making the presence of God manifest in all of creation. That's why when you look at the Grand Canyon, you're like, okay, atheism is stupid. That's why when you, you look all around the planet and, and you see, you see the, the way like, creation is just constantly falling apart and then repairing itself, you talk to scientists about hurricanes, and we hate hurricanes, but scientists who are, especially like oceanographers, are like, yeah, they're pretty cool, though. They're pretty good for the ocean, though. What? And even though the, the earth has been cursed, I mean, it's just constantly fixing itself. That's a reflection of God, because creation is organized. The human body, you know, if you cut yourself, you, you, it heals itself. It's a reflection of God. It's, it's organized. Our bodies work in a way that is organized. Everything about God is organized and efficient. All right, so why in the world, why in the world would, would I talk about that? Okay. The church is organized because God is organized. The church is put together in, in a way that needs to be efficient because 
the character of God is organized and efficient. So like here in our church, we have, we have covenant members, we have uh, uh, a, a board of elders, we have staff, we have ministry team leaders, we have all these volunteers and all this stuff that's going on. Um, we are organized because God is organized. And we can all function in that way because there is equality among us, just like there is equality within God. So I can, can speak on certain things as an elder of this church, and members of the church have willingly submitted to the leadership of the elder board. But if we were all high and mighty, and like we're better than y'all, and we're elders and you're not, and whatever, um, that, that would not go over well. And you see churches where there's all this like dissonance and all this horrible stuff going on between like the same people on these committees and there's like your powerful group, there's all this stuff, whatever, because there's no equality there. It's all this. And so what we strive for is to be like this all the time because biblically that's how it is. That's how God sees us, so why should we try and create this when God sees this? And so if if our elders or staff or anybody with a title, community group leader or whatever, starts thinking out there all high and mighty, then uh, we got a problem because that means that only, not only means there's going to be tension and problems and whatever. We don't want people to hate each other. It means we're acting in a way that's, that doesn't look like the character of God, and we need to fix that. That's why we fix it. That's why we're organized in this way because we want our church structure to look like the Trinity. I wish I could tell you from the beginning that was how, you know, how we've tried to do this, but it's not. We just prayed, asked God to show us what to do, and he did. And what do you know? It looks like the Trinity. But that's why. Like, that's how God has put things together. So the church being organized, and that's, that's huge. I sent you to Ephesians, right? I told you four. I meant to tell you. I mean, I'd, go to four. Sorry. Look at this. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He likens the church to a human body, and a human body is intricately organized. So that's why, like, that's why churches are organized. Some people think it's dumb. They're like, oh, why do you have membership? There's no membership in the New Testament. Yeah, there is. It's in there. If you want to talk about it after, we'll talk about it after. But there's an organization there. And look, here, here's a part of my point. The practical things about, like, church life, they're not just because, like, well, this is a good way to do it, or this is tradition, or, you know, if we don't have some structure, we'll fall apart, so we need to have some structure. No, 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 no. It is all rooted in the fact that this is what God looks like so we need to look like that as best we can. Every single bit of it. Now, in Ephesians 5, there's this, you know, 
famous talk on marriage. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right? You, you read that, and you try to tell me why it's okay to not, like, commit to a church. To not, like, literally, like, go through a membership process and join a church. Not necessarily this church, whatever church you're a part of. Um, God is committed to the church. That's why we have membership. That's why in our church we have covenant membership. That's why we push one another and hold each other accountable and carry out church discipline if we need to because Jesus and the Spirit and the Father look at us as a bride. That's commitment. And so we push our people to be committed the book came out a couple years ago. It's called Stop Dating the Church. And I read it, and I was like, this, this is it. This is what has been needing to be said. This is the perfect way to communicate it. Quit going on dates with a bunch of churches. Put a ring on somebody's finger. And unfortunately for the BCM, they've asked me to talk this Thursday at TNT, which is church night. And um, I say unfortunately for them because I'm, like, super worked up about this uh, all the time. Um, but if, if Jesus is willing to commit to this church, then who in the world are we to say, no, nah, I don't think so. I'll kind of go to this church or this church or whatever. Or I'll join this church, but I'm not going to be, really be that whatever. I'm just going to attend, and you know, maybe one day maybe one day I get in a community group. or this, this, this. That's a bunch of bull. Um, God is fully committed to this bride. And so who do we think we are to sit back and not be committed? But the reason why we push for commitment is because it is rooted in the character of God as one who is committed. It's not because we're trying to build this church. It's not because we're trying to outgrow this BCM so we can like, go to some more other building somewhere or, or buy land or whatever. I don't want to buy land. I don't want to build a building. I want somebody to give us a building. That's, 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 that's transparency right there. But, <laughs> but I want us to grow because disciples are being made and the body is naturally growing. It is not my goal to grow a bunch of numbers and get put on the map or whatever. I love being below the radar. I love that nobody knows who I am. Uh, like, when they look at me as a pastor and they're like, you know? Like, um, I, that's totally fine. But the reason why we push for commitment and take it seriously is because that's a reflection of who God is in us. And so, I mean, that's, that's where we're coming from. Awesome. Next, next thing. The second, second area of life, I'm going, to move, I'm going to move quickly, I promise you. That first one, I just get hung up on it. Um, okay, God is, um, he is focused. He is intentional. He is full of purpose. Um, He's not random. And so where that fits in with us is this, this idea of a missional life. That's a a buzzword that you hear a lot. And so, but, I mean, all that really means is that 
God is God has this mission. I mean that He is He's living on purpose intentionally. I mean He's He's not just existing just because. He's going in this direction. And so as he is going in this direction, he invites us to come along with him and we join him in what he's doing, wherever that is. For us, right now, tonight, it's, it's in this room. And then we're going to go to a bunch of other places and some people are going to go eat and God is working there. And some people are going to go back to apartments and dorms and God is working there. And some of you will go home and he's working there. And we'll all go to bed tonight and we'll get up and then tomorrow we'll all go other places and he is working there. And we join him in his work wherever it is. And that may take some of you to the other side of the, of the world. And some of you may live in Baton Rouge until you die or he comes back. Either way, he's working there and we join him in that. Now look, um, you're already in Ephesians. Look, look back in Ephesians 1. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, here we go, before the foundation of the world. Okay, now hold on. There's going to be like this word that's predestined in here in just a second, that word predestined. Do not freak out. Okay? Don't. I, was, I just pastored you through that right there. Don't freak out. He's chosen us, uh, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, okay? So think, think about that for a second. This moment, this sermon, these songs, this gathering, the handshakes that you have, the hugs that you have tonight, the people that you meet, whatever, before the foundation of the world, this was planned. Okay? And when I say God is like a, a visionary, he, has, he is missional, he has purpose, he's intentional, he's not random, that's foresight, okay? For the beginning of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Okay? That's... That's... I mean, that's insight into the plan and the purpose of God. If you read John chapter 17, Jesus kind of recounts everything from his earthly ministry. He just kind of puts in this one deal. And it's, there is not an unintentional random thing in the whole mix. We have this, this great commission um, about going and making disciples and baptizing them. And that's, that's visionary. He tells Peter, on, on this rock, on you, I will build my church. I mean, that, so... So here, here's God. God has this going on. And so we join him in that. Flip over to Ephesians 3. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here you go. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Through the church, I mean, we are, we're the vehicle, we're the conduit, we are whatever you want to call us. And so we join him in that. So when we talk about living a missional life and, and thinking more like a missionary when you go to work and you go, to, you go home in your neighborhoods and all this kind of stuff, we're not talking about something that's like, oh, this is, gonna, this is a good, healthy place to be as a church. And, and this, you know, we're, we're living like a WWJD kind of like life. That's, we're just going to call it being missional. All that, whatever. We are that way because God is that way. It's a direct reflection of who he is. God's not just like, he's not like a God who is like on mission. He is missional. Like that's him. Jesus didn't, like, muster up all this strength. Like, well, okay, I guess I'll leave heaven and go to earth and whatever. He did it in humility because he understood the plan because that's, that's who he is. That's the role that he plays. He embraces that within the Trinity. So when we talk about missional living, it's absolutely because of who God is. And so we follow this plan as he leads us, or we look at the scriptures that is laid out, and we trust, that, okay, th- this is going to guide us and show us what to do and how to live. So both like the church being structured and being committed and all that kind of stuff, and also like living missionally, the reason why those are such big deals to us here at the ring um, is because it's who God is. And that's ultimately what we're called to. And everything we do is rooted in, in who he is. The next, the next thing, um, you, you will hear us talk a lot about community. And there are people, when they move away from, from here, and this is like I want to be able to like brag on you in a not in an arrogant way, but in a just I don't I don't know that everybody gets to hear this all the time. But when people have been involved like involved in our church, okay, not fringe people, but they're like they're jumping in 100% with community, and they go and they move other places. Um, what they find is that there's like there's a uniqueness here for some reason, and I'm not saying that other churches don't have it. That's not what I'm saying because I know that they do. But what I am saying is that people who leave miss whatever's going on here for some reason. And so we, we push that. We don't, you know, we have small groups, so we could call them small groups. We could call them Sunday school. We could call them home groups. We could call them, you know, whatever. We call them community groups because we think that even, even the title reinforces something important to us. Now, God in and of himself is a community. Father, Son, Spirit. Three of them. Community. So when we push community, we're really just pushing a Trinitarian idea that is who God is in and of himself. So, but not only has got a community, there's, there's amazing things about the way the community of God functions. Um, God is love. Um, there, is, there is an openness and an honesty between the Trinity. Like they, don't, they don't keep secrets from each other. Uh, they, are, they are personal there's love that is expressed between the three of them. Um, they, are, they are completely relationally driven. I mean, everything about the gospel is about knowing Jesus. It's all re- relational there. 
And so everything about God, not only is he a community, meaning that there's like three of them, but the way that they interact is unifying and beautiful. Um, uh, turn to John chapter 17. Another part of this community that's so amazing is just the consistency and the faithfulness that is there. And so you push all that together. Um, let me read you. You go to 17. Let me read you a couple other verses. 1431, this is Jesus. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do what he tells me so that the world may know that I love him. There's love that exists. 15, uh, 9, and 10. Says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Love. Jesus, the Father. There's love there. There's a connection there. Look at 17. Look at, starting verse 20. I do not ask for these things only, but also those who believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay? You, you want to know how Jesus feels about you? You just read that every day. He's praying for you and for me. He's praying for his church. So within the, within the Trinity, we see all this love and all this, this connection that's there. And there's this openness that's there. And you look at, at Jesus praying in Gethsemane, and he's, I mean, he's like being completely transparent and honest with the Father. And be like, okay, I don't really want to do this. If there's any other way for us to accomplish what, what we came to accomplish without me having to go through this, this agony, not just the physical stuff, but the... But the having sin put on for the first time and the wrath of God poured out on him, being separated from the Father. I mean, everything about it is just a nightmare. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if, if we could do this another way, let's do it. But it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. That's transparency. That's honesty. That's openness. The Spirit coming and convicting and pointing people to Jesus so that Jesus is, is the hero of the story that's humility on the part of the Spirit. And so, like, he understands what's going on. And so, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there's this community that's there. It's not just because there's three of them. It's the way they relate to each other. So, when we have community groups set up, or when any church has Sunday school or whatever, the reason why all that stuff is important is because we are trying to recreate the relational um, connections that happen in the Trinity. That's the bottom line. So we write this, these questions in the, our discussion guides. We try to get you to share your life and try to 
how is this hard and how can we pray for you and what's going on? And the reason why we push all that is not because we, like, we just like baggage. It's not. We want to see each other healed. We want to see each other grow. We want to carry each other's burdens. But we want to do all those things because that's the kind of God that God is. That's his heart. That's his mind. That's the way he sees things. That's the way it, there is existence within the Trinity. And so we want to reflect all that stuff. It's, it's just that simple. And so we could get up here, we could put some slick video together, because we have like killer video people in this church. We could put together something and like make you cry about the intimacy of community groups and life change and all that kind of stuff. But that's not how, how we do stuff. Um, we, could, we could just like bombard you. We could recruit you. We could put, get our leaders out there to try and sign everybody up. And just, but no, we're, we're, we don't do that. But we do put a tremendous emphasis on our community groups. We say, if you want to get involved in this church, that is step one. Even before membership, before any of that other kind of stuff, before getting on a ministry team or whatever, get in a community group. Why? Because that's the first step that you're going to have into living in, in a way among us that is Trinitarian, that is a reflection of the heart of God, where you can know people and you can be known by people. And it's not a sales pitch. It's an explanation. So like this, theologically, this is where we're coming from. That's why we do community groups. That's why our community exists this way. That's why in the summer we flip everything up to equip and train, all that kind of stuff, but also to mix things up so that you know other people. That's why hospitality is becoming a more like, common thing. It's like, you've got to be nice to people. Why? Because God is nice to people. You know? I mean, geez, everything that we do, like read the entire New Testament, everything in there comes back to the fact it's rooted in who God is. Everything, absolutely everything. And I think being a church kid, I think for so long, like I heard all these things about, about grace and holiness and community and all this kind of stuff, and it all just seemed like, like, the, like the masterminds of the church were like, yes, let's put together this plan to in- integrate people, and, and then our Sunday school classes will grow, and they'll have to go to two services, and we'll have to do all this stuff. Like it, it just, not, not that they ever said this directly, but I, not, like I being literally like just ignorant about how things work, was like, was like, yeah, they're just trying to build this empire. But the reality is, those leaders were just trying to live according to the way the New Testament lays things out. And the way that the New Testament is laid out is a direct reflection of who God is. That's why. It's not a bunch of rules. So when, when we read passages that say, forgive people, we forgive because God is a forgiver. When we say be compassionate, it's because God is compassionate. When we talk about grace, it's because he's, he's gracious. We say, hey, husbands, don't talk down to your wife. It's because she's valuable to God. And you're supposed to love her as Christ loves the, the church. I mean, all of these things, everything that we do, everything that we talk about, it always comes back to who God is. And if that connection is not made, then we don't need to, we don't need to do it. Or we need to figure out, okay, how do, we, how do we do this in such a way that it's helping us reflect, either reflect these things in God or trust in the sovereignty and the omniscience and the omnibenevolence and all those big you know, words about God. 
Now, I know that one of the biggest hang-ups we're going to come up against is going to be, we're going to look at the Trinity, and we're going to see that all this, this harmony and this unity, and there's no deceit, there's no lying to each other, there's nothing to hide, there's no competition. There's just, and we look at that and we say, okay, that's the Trinity. That's God. How in the world are we supposed to reflect all that? The reason why all that stuff is, exists in the Trinity is because there's no sin. That's why within the Godhead it is perfect community and perfect love and perfect equality and perfect everything because there's no sin. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13. So therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written in Leviticus 11, you shall be holy, for I am holy. From the very beginning, God is saying, you be like me. You be like me. You be holy because I am holy. And that's the fourth area, is holiness. Pursuing holiness. We don't do it because it creates a nice society. We don't do it because it makes things nice, nice and there's lots of good harmony within the church and it keeps the drama at a low level. We pursue holiness because our God is holy. We sang it earlier, sin has lost its power. We battle the flesh and the spirit. Well, what did we say last week? We read it. You've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness according to knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and excellence. See, we, we can live holy lives. Otherwise, why would God say, be holy? And so we live from Him, and we pursue holiness. We try, and by His strength and His transformation in us, to live in such a way where sin is dealt with. We don't just look the other way, and we don't be like, man, that's really annoying, or whatever. We go after it. It says, prepare your minds for action. In 2 Peter, we read last week, make every effort to supplement your faith. You get in there and you abide. We don't abide because it's a nice way to live. I know I keep saying something over here. It's a reflection of God. It is His way of helping us look like Him. He doesn't just say, be holy and send us out there on our own. He says, be holy, and if you rely on me, I'll make it happen. I will make your life look that way. I will help you conquer those addictions and those problems and those hang-ups and those areas of your life where you know you're being disobedient and rebellious. I will do that. Just abide. Trust. Be obedient. Quit being a brat. Just do it. 
You know why? Because God's driven, and God makes every effort, and God is consistent, and God is faithful, and God is disciplined. So everything that he's asked us to do, all he's basically saying is just be like me in all these things. I'll empower it. I'll make it happen. You just trust me and be obedient. Let that old Baptist hymn, trust and obey. No other way. Now, in Second Peter, where we were last week, I mean, this is, this is it. We come to a close. Since His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us. There's one translation that I'm not a big fan of, but I like the way they interpret this verse. Where it basically, it says something on this effect. Uh, the, the more that you get to know Christ, the more this becomes a reality. How true is that? I mean, we dig in to Him. I mean, we... And, and I think that's what God really wants from our church, is to just... I mean, to, to press into Him. Say, like, I, I want a holy life. Like, I want that. I want to look like you. I want to be committed to your church. Absolutely. I want to live in community. I want to live missionally. I want to be holy because you are holy, not because I'm supposed to, not because that's what good church kids do, because it's who you are. The only way for that to happen is for us to get to know God more and more, and the more that happens, the more transformation is there. So the ball is in my court. The ball is in your court. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to sing some songs that are responsive along these lines. And yes, we do that on purpose. But to me, there's something about standing up and singing these things that is committal. I think that's a part of what God's wanting. He's saying, I'm committed to the bride. I'm committed to holiness. I'm committed to all this. I'm committed to everything. You be like me. Let me pray. God, we love you, and um, we're trusting you in these things we talked about tonight. It can certainly be intimidating for us to think about holiness or living missionally and representing you as we go out to the world. God, we believe that you are organized and driven and purposed and full of grace and full of truth. You are compassionate and loving. You are all those things. I'm sure in this room, uh, you're probably different things have jumped out to different people. Really, it all, it's all going to come down to being holy in all that we do. In our thoughts, in our intentions, in our words, in our actions. So God, as we, as we sing tonight and we just respond, I pray that there will be commitments that are made to you. You tell us to abide in you, to live from you, and our lives will bear fruit. That's our desire. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. And y'all just, just take a minute and uh, you just meet with the Lord for a second. We'll sing here and then uh, we'll be done.